0: Geekville Radio. Who was that guy? Somebody I already killed.
1: Hello, all you geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, aka Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio. We are on our second. Episode ever in the latest addition to the Geekville Radio podcast family, this is of course the lesser known Geek Hall of Fame and I want to thank everybody that checked out our first episode on the Shadow, which is available as we speak. Check it out if you haven't done so already, just do a search for Geekville Radio. You should see all of our shows there and Give us a follow, give us a rating, because this is definitely a labor of love that we like doing, because we really really enjoy doing these documentaries or shows devoted to some of these characters that maybe not everybody knows. So this show, we are doing another classic character from around that same time, kind of pre-Golden Age, you might say. And again, one of the first in many categories for superheroes, and that is the leaf fall creation of the Phantom. Unfortunately, I don't have to do it alone. Once again, joining me from a nice padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, looking forward to our second
0: episode here of the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. Another really good entry, I think. A uh, very fascinating character who kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of what we as geeks today enjoy.
1: Agreed. Because One of the things that I've really enjoyed about the Phantom is... The character's origin is really in-depth, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I think before we start talking the character itself, we'll take another look back at the way things were You know, when it came to entertainment. Much like The Shadow, this character was invented in the 30s, a totally different society. There wasn't internet, there, there wasn't TV. And while movies were a regular form of entertainment, they really weren't as prevalent as they are now. The main form of entertainment were... Newspapers, magazines, and radio. And much like today, newspapers in those days had a regular comic strip section. And a name that is really important to the history of newspaper syndication is King Features Syndicate. And that company still exists to this day. But they're the company that kind of handles distributing material to newspapers and magazines and such. That's why you see these syndicated columnists who are published in dozens of publications at once... Is because companies like King Features helps take care of that. I mean, does that sound right to you, Train?
0: Yep. King Features was created by William Randolph Hearst, who was a newspaper magnet mogul, uh, probably infamous for some of his yellow journalism that got us involved in certain conflicts, but also known as the inspiration for Orson Welles' creation of of you know Citizen Kane. That's essentially a fictionalized biography of the man. So that should give you an idea of, of how you know uh, big he was. He owned King Features. He owned several newspapers, as a matter of fact, and, and things related to that. I guess to equate William Randolph Hearst as far as a media mogul in that era, I think it would be safe to say he's a Ted Turner, uh, Rupert mm-hmm. Murdoch level of guy. Wouldn't you say that's a good analogy by today's standards?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. Or maybe uh, somebody kind of like – might not be the best analogy, but somebody maybe like an Elon Musk or somebody like that might be kind of be looked at as a, a pioneer in certain yes. certain fields. Yes,
0: sure, sure. I think he was, but he definitely controlled. As, as we're talking about with newspapers being so prevalent at the time and magazines, he kind of controlled a lot of what America and the world read and entertained themselves with and informed themselves with. Very powerful man, if you if you
1: think about it. Yes, absolutely. Now. We are talking about comic strips. Naturally, over the years, comic strips became best known for funny jokes. I mean, I think we've all read comics in the newspaper at some point. But there has always been that measure of the action and drama strips, basically as long as there's, there have been comic strips. And to this day, you can open up a newspaper and you might see Dick Tracy or Brenda Starr or characters like that. Prince Valiant, stuff like mm-hmm. that, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is how The Phantom... Got it. Start. Uh, the Phantom was first published as a daily comic strip in February. I believe the exact date was February seventeenth, nineteen thirty-six. Now, a couple years earlier, Lee Falk, the, the creator of the Phantom, had created and drawn the character Mandrake the Magician, which spoiler alert, we're going to talk about in a future episode of. The, but Mandrake was a big hit, and then King Features went to Lee Falk and asked if he could follow up with anything. And legend has it that Falk was originally going to pitch a King Arthur strip, and that huh. didn't go over well. So he just kind of envisioned this character that kind of fit a lot of the tropes of not really adventurer, but, you know, hero, protector, things like that. Right. And that's, in a nutshell, how the, how the fandom came to be. And he did draw the first couple weeks of the comic strip, and then he handed off the Art Reigns to, I believe, Ray Moore. Now, uh, as far as those early days go, Train, um, a lot of those were black and white, right? They, they was actually they were reprinted yeah. later in
0: color, right? Right, exactly. Uh, and I think that to talk about Lee Falk, to kind of get off the drawing subject real quick, Lee Falk is a very creative man who his real love and passion was theater. He did comic strips to basically pay the bills and he did become quite successful uh in theater i i don't i know he directed several plays i think he directed over 100 plays including a couple of musicals um that was his first love and his passion i think he he ran several theaters but he never got far away from the phantom in particular and comic strips in general because he would continue writing the phantom up until his death and was it 98 or 99
1: 1999 yes so 60
0: some odd years he continued to write the phantom was near and dear to his heart so even though theater was his love he there was something about this character that he really was drawn to and he continued to write it and i think as you read the early stories of the phantom which are easy to find now they've been reprinted uh you know and collected into books uh, it's obvious that there were no comic books. He was a pioneer because the, a lot of the influences of these were things as a theater guy would have, stuff like Shakespeare and, and the classics and, you know, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and, and and you know Sherlock Holmes, that kind of stuff. It was, he had, he had an advantage, I think over what would become comic book writers in the sense that because it was daily and episodic or weekly and episodic, He could be very, very involved with, you know, twists and turns, things that became comic book tropes. He was able to do that in his storylines that you just weren't able to do in a self-contained single issue of a comic book. Do you follow what I'm saying with that?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And really just the daily comic strip, uh, even even the comedy stuff would kind of have a continuing story over time. But these adventure ones, I always found that a bit interesting in this day and age of – Binging on TV or books or anything like that, I, I would assume there were people that probably cut out and kept the strips and such. But you'd get three or four mm-hmm. frames of story per day, uh, and so that that I think it kind of took a special kind of attention span to be able to uh, keep up with all. It's that.
0: almost it's almost a precursor to uh, soap operas,
1: you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair comparison. I, I think that you know.
0: Not that I, I'm not taking anything away from the, 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 the rock stars and superstars we've had in the comic book world over the last 50 years. I just think that Lee Falk needs to be given the credit that he's due because he was a groundbreaker. Um, and he was not a, a dumb man. He was not an uneducated man. I think that was for years and really up until the last 10 or 15 years. I think people who – a lot of people mainstream have thought that if you read comic strips or you read comic books or both – and if you were involved in the creation of them, you weren't very smart. It was for unintelligent, uneducated people. And oh, I don't think yes. anything could oh, be, yes. be farther from the truth. And I think we'll, I think Lee Falk is a, is a prime example of that. And he's one of the first.
1: So, Yes, agreed. Now, one of the reasons we decided to do a show on The Phantom, because some of these characters, as we would say in our trailer, kind of the episode zero, a lot of these characters that we're going to talk about a lot of people have probably heard of and that's why we're not doing superman and batman and characters like that because everybody knows the story Mm. while there's probably a lot of people who might recognize the phantom it's one of those things do they really know the origin of the phantom because i think the origin of the phantom is actually pretty fascinating and there are tropes in there that probably still exist to character creations this day but the origin and the history of the phantom is something i think a lot of casual fans for lack of a better term might not understand i mean do you think do you think that's that's fair?
0: Yeah, I do. And I and I would I would um I would advise, I guess for lack of a better word, our listeners, much like we did in the shadow episode, pay attention to what we're talking about and you'll begin to see this common thread because they weren't tropes when Lee Falk did this. He was creating them. And you'll see how they heavily influenced a lot of the characters that are comic book characters that we love so much today. Oh, he was the first to do that, or he was the first to do that. And you can see how well, he borrowed from the past, created his own thing, and they became um, just kind of the standard in, in, in the comic book action-adventure hero type of story. You know, um, we'll, we'll point them out as they come along, but I mean, we start with his origins. That's some of the first ones. If you want to go ahead and start telling the, the backstory to where the, the Phantom came from.
1: Absolutely. The story of the Phantom begins in England in the 16th century. There was a man named Christopher Walker, not Walken, but Walker, who was a seaman all of his life, you know, sailor, basically. He was a cabin boy on the Santa Maria, which, of course, is one of the three ships sailed by Christopher Columbus's famous journey. And I believe it was the one that sank. Uh, Nina Nina and Pinta, I think, made it. But uh, when Walker returned to England, he had a child also named... Christopher Walker junior. Yeah. Yeah, you could say that I, I don't know if it was specified as a junior or not, but yeah, he 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 named his son also Christopher Walker. I don't know if they had juniors back then. I mean, unless you're royalty and then it was like the 7th or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but when the senior Walker began sailing again in 1526, so this would have been when the younger Christopher would have been 10 years old. He, you know, he he began sailing with his father. Now, fast forward another 10 years where the son is now 20, 1536, the walkers set out for what was supposed to be the father's final voyage. Unfortunately, the ship was attacked by pirates, and the crew were all massacred, including the father. In fact, one of the last things young Christopher saw before blacking out was his father being killed by one of these pirates. Now, this was the, the Sing Syndicate, right? The, the, the pirates? Sang Brotherhood. Sang, okay.
0: And that would be that would that would they would go on to be the Phantom's arch nemesis forever. <laughs>
1: right. Kind of, so it, kind of like the hand to, is to Daredevil or something like that, right? Right. Is it, it Batman's
0: Joker? There you go. That's always mm-hmm. the analogy we go back to. But to, to to go back to what you're talking about, okay, here we are. We we, we know that the, the Phantom is is going to become the Christopher Walker Jr. I don't want to step on your toes here. Mm-hmm an origin story of a hero who saw the murder of his father in front of him. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> mhm. And once again, remember this is 1936. So this predates both Superman and Batman. By Superman by what? 3 two, years and yeah, Batman by 4?
1: Two years for Superman, I think 3 years for a Batman. I believe Superman started in 38 and Batman started in 39.
0: 39. That's right. 39. You're right. You're right. You're
1: right. So, yeah, just wanted to point that out as you were going on with the, with Continue. I'm sorry. But young Christopher was actually the sole survivor of that plunder, and he washed ashore on the beach of Bengala. I think this name has changed a little bit over the years. Uh, was there Benda- Bengala or Bandar or Bangor? no no but Bandar
0: was was the tribe on the on the on the island we'll get to that in a second, but Bengala has always been the name of the, the the weird thing is in this era that you're talking about they portray this as being an an asian area later on in the 60s when when the the artwork was moved from more to i can't remember the the second set of artist names they moved the the location to africa and that's where it's been ever since which makes sense i think a lot of the early uh, Phantom stories would be considered uh, culturally insensitive by today's standards, because the the natives on this island that, that Christopher washes up on are were drawn looking very African, you know, uh, but they're, they're claiming they're they're Asian, uh, and and I mean, I guess Sang Brotherhood sounds more Asian than it does African, at least, at least to my American ears, you know, but I could be wrong. <laughs> um, Agreed. It, 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 you know, and, and Bengala actually sounds like a country because it's, by the way, Bengala is fictional. It's not a real place. It was just created wholesale by, by Lee Falk. It sounds like a place that could be either in Africa or, or Asia for that matter. So, you know, that's it. I guess that works, right? Right. It, it doesn't matter. 1936, both Asia and Africa were very exotic locales for the average American. Let's put it, that, let, let's be mm-hmm. honest,
1: you know. I believe the name you were looking for uh, for that third artist to come along after Falk mm-hmm. and after Moore. Sid something, was, maybe? It was Cy Berry. And, um, that's
0: it, Cyberry. I, I I knew it was the S-Y Berry, yeah. Cy Berry. Yeah. that's
1: it. Good call, good call. So Cy did the artwork, and I believe during World War II, uh, Falk was also taking part in the the war effort and Wilson McCoy was a guy that also helped out in the creating of the strips and he he passed around 1960, 61. But Cy took over like what 64 I think is that correct around that time? So Wilson McCoy uh, took over for a while as did Cy and that was kind of the creative team for the next several years.
0: Right. That would have been in the 60s uh, when Psy took over completely because of McCoy's death, and that would have been when they moved Bengala specifically from India to, or from sorry from Af from uh, Asia to Africa, if I'm correct in my research, is that what your research telling you?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I, I I my own notes here. I think that way crossed a couple lines here. so I'm kind of messing up on my mm. own my own notes. Here. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty but bad I, when you confuse yourself, you know. <laughs> right, right. But back to the origin. Christopher Walker was the sole survivor. And he washed ashore on the beach and the beach that was retconned into Africa. But the important thing is he was found by native pygmies of the fictitious tribe of Bandar. They rescued him, nursed him back to health. And they weren't just being good people uh, doing this. We'll we'll come back to this in a little bit as to why the Bandar saved him. So Walker kind of makes the Bandar his adoptive family, learned the language of the tribe, And that's when he found out that the Bandar were slaves to a tribe of much larger men called the Wasaka. They would refer to them as giants. The Bandar that found him, they were a small group of escaped slaves. And Christopher took it upon himself to go to the Wasaka and I think kind of negotiate or parlay, work out something uh, to free the tribe. Unfortunately, that did not go any well, very well because instead of negotiating, the Wasaka captured him, took him prisoner, and laid him on the altar of their god, Uzuki. He was kind of left there to die, basically, because the Wakaza were leaving it in the hands of their god as to whether this man will, will live or die. Now, fortunately, the Bandar had rallied, managed to free Christopher, and escaped the Wasaka, which is now the second time they've saved his life. <laughs> He's racking up those wookie those wookie life debts, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> right. But that was when Christopher kind of learned his destiny so to speak. And I know it's kind of a little sensationalized to share to say it that way, but it's true. The, see, there was an ancient Bandar prophecy that told of a man that would come from the sea to save the Bandar from slavery. So of course, this man washed up to shore. So they they took him, nursed him back to health. He got captured. They saved him again because they probably believe that this is the man that's going to save them. This is the the prophecy coming to fold. Right, exactly. So Christopher went working on a costume, and the costume he devised was made to look like that war god, Uzuki, for the Wasaka. 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 Yes. And this is what would become the purple suit, the mask without eyes, the... You know the typical look of the phantom
0: so so if you think about it now uh this is uh, you know uh, if those of you don't know, the Phantom wears like a skin tight leotard looking outfit with boots, it's purple, he has a black belt that has a skull in a in a in a upside down triangle in it uh and he wears striped like um wrestler's trunks over it think Superman mm-hmm. he's the first character to ever have this look. He wears a harlequin tight there's also a hood that goes over with the costume and a black harlequin mask that you know whites out his eyes also the first time we've seen a a character with the white but these are tropes now you know what we were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier you think about batman you think about superman you think about lots of different comic book characters that's the look they have now well falk and Moore are the first guys doing this you know with with the look and the the look itself came twofold from falk he the look of the the leotard with with the trunks over them was what strong men in the sideshows and in the carnivals wore in the 1930s. So that's where he got that look from. And the idea of the pupilless eyes with the mask he got from going back to the classics. Those old, you know, classic, uh, uh, not models of, of sculptures of like Roman and Greek yeah. gods where they have the white eyes, you know, and so, stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Here he is borrowing from the classics again, also taking something from his current time. And, you know, if you ever wonder, why does my favorite comic book hero wear his underwear on the outside of his leotards? You can thank the strongmen of
1: the 1930s, and now you know. So since Christopher knew he wasn't going to be able to bargain for the Banders' freedom, here he goes and takes up the disguise to look like Uzuki himself. So he's right. he's basically taken the form now The look of the Wasaka gods. So in this new costume, Christopher leads a group of Bandar armed with poisonous arrows back to the Wasaka tribe. So the Wasaka see this guy and they believe this is their demon god come to life and Christopher and the Bandar were able to fend them off and essentially free the Bandar slaves. And this kind of began the long-term relationship between Christopher and the Bandar. Mm Mm-hmm. Now that he's kind of their hero and their savior, the Bandar tribe take Christopher to a cave, which had a resemblance to a giant human skull. Uh, this became Christopher's base of operations. And he did do some cosmetic adjustments to the cave, so it would look even more like a skull, and creatively named it Skull Cave.
0: But it's, it's essentially, it's the, it's, it's the precursor to the Batcave, to the Fortress of Solitude.
1: Exactly, yeah. So he, uh, Christopher adopts the mask, and the costume permanently. And this is when he truly becomes the Phantom. And the mantle of the Phantom would be carried on through Walker's lineage.
0: Yep. Every Phantom that we've had, and the one that's most well-known, which is Kit Walker, is actually the 21st Phantom. Whereas Christopher Walker Jr. We're talking, was the first Phantom. So there have been 20 in between the current one and what we know from you know the, the 16th century. Uh, a lot of those stories... And we'll get to where those stories came from. The, the the whoever the walker was would often go to the Western world for education or whatever, mm-hmm. and 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 meet a woman, get married, have a have a son, and that was where the progeny would come from to perpetuate the the you know the phantom mantle on. Um, and he had you know no superpowers, no James Bond, Bruce Wayne, Tony Stark tech. He just lived in the jungle. Uh, with the bandar and trained himself to the peak of physical perfection. That also sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? Indeed, uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and he's it, as you read a lot of Phantom stories. One of the things I like about the Phantom is, once again, I think this is an inspiration for for, for a lot of Batman stories and a lot of other vigilante stories. Um, he doesn't always, even though he is trained to the peak of physical perfection, uh, he's very stealthy and things like that. I think that. The Phantom, I think Kit likes to use guile and subterfuge more than he does brute force. Do you agree with that?
1: Yes, because the Phantom does carry guns, but he rarely, if ever, shoots people. And if he does shoot people, it, it's, it's like a, a right. It's a, it's a leg shot or something like that. He's such a good yep. aim that he's usually able to shoot guns out of people's hands.
0: Which is another first I think people need to point out is that he has a strict no-kill policy. So he becomes the first hero with the no kill policy. Once again, we're seeing what are now considered tropes. This is the first time they're done. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one of the other early stories you didn't mention. After he frees the Bagot, uh, uh, the the Bandar tribe from the Wasaka, he is able to avenge the death of his father.
1: Yes, and, I, did, I did leave and, that out. Thank you.
0: And and, and and with the help of the Bandar, and he kills this pirate band for the Sang Brotherhood. And that's where the real. Enmity between those two factions begin is you know he took out one of their ships and he 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 I, I don't think he kills the captain that killed his father I think he, the captain just dies in the crossfire and uh, he takes the skull that his that of the of the pirate who killed his father and uh, pretty much makes an oath on it to you know to be to avenge and fight piracy in all its forms for the rest of rest of his life and that is kind of the oath that all phantoms take um much like you know the brightest day dark blackest night kind of oath that the that the green lanterns take it's i was gonna
1: make that exact same analogy yeah the 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 vow was i swear to devote my life to the destruction of piracy greed cruelty and injustice and my sons and their sons shall follow me it's like the only thing missing there would be like a beware my power green lanterns light you know
0: (laughs) exactly once again we're seeing more tropes and i think that you know, so you're seeing these, this passing on of, of, of this and where we are once the story starts in 1936 with the 21st Phantom. We know there's been 20 before them. What that's enabled him to do, and it plays into this guile and subterfuge, is that only the Bandar know that there has been multiple Phantoms. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, the Walker himself, that's part of his mystique. It, that's why he is the Phantom, because it's, he's like a ghost almost, he can't be killed. Uh, every time a bad guy has a few times a bad guy has killed a phantom, they return back to bengala and oh my gosh there 's another phantom, but they don 't know it 's a different person they 're like I, but I killed him you know right. it, it's always and so that that is that combined with his 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 training is really his two his it, it are his tools that 's what he uses to fight this injustice and piracy is is this mystique, this mystery of this guy's been alive for you know 400 years. How has he not died? He's a ghost. He is a phantom. Um of course he also has his rings too. Uh, would you like to describe what, what the rings are and what he wears those for?
1: Yeah, there's two rings, one on each hand. The ring he wears on his left hand is the good mark ring and that looks kind of like cross swords and he will touch people with that ring. And kind branding might not be the right word. And quite frankly, touching may not be the right word. Now that I think about it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> PG show people. Um, but that is how he's able to mark people and consider them trustworthy. If you earn Fan- the phantom's trust, he right. uh, makes a mark on you with the good mark ring. But then on the right hand, he that, has- is, that is the evil mark ring, which has a skull on it. And that's, the main use of that ring is it's on his right hand because that's his punching hand. He's right-handed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he will use that ring to kind of burn the shape of the skull into an opponent as, uh, as he punches them. Right. It's, it's almost like even if
0: they get away from him, they're marked forever as a pirate. The world knows that they're a pirate because they've been marked by the phantom.
1: Yeah, kind it's of kind a— of hard uh, to
0: Kind of hard, kind of hard to well, a brand almost. Hard to walk around in civilized world with a with a freaking skull and printed on the side of your cheek. <laughs> people they people tend to notice things like that. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I know I would.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. To make a bi- biblical analogy, it's kind of like the the Mark of Cain type thing.
0: Well, a more current one. Uh, remember the Mark the Wakandans put on Claw in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Similar thing,
1: you know. Right. So
0: it's uh it, it 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 seems a little barbaric, I think, by today's standards. Uh, But remember, even as divisive as it is, wasn't Batman branding people in the new DCEU? (laughs) Right. I'm just saying, uh, I don't know if Zack Snyder was a fan of the Phantom or whoever wrote Batman versus Superman, but they definitely put that in there, didn't they?
1: Mm -hmm. One more thing to add on to the lineage. When Christopher died, the original Phantom, he had already taken a wife and had a son, and that son buried him in the Skull Cave and then took up the mantle of the phantom from his father. So from generation to generation to generation, there is a direct lineage of phantoms, and the practice is the son buries the father somewhere in the skull cave. So every single phantom that has lived is buried in that skull. And that's kind of weird when you think about it, but it's also very much a tradition thing. So... You
0: know, I I think if you find like families, being being British, uh, a lot of, you know, elite families, royalty, you know, nobility, they have those family mausoleums and everybody's buried in them. And they're usually not at a graveyard. They're on like the the land of the family. So I don't know if that's that
1: unusual coming from that world. Do you follow what I'm saying? That's actually a really good way to put it. And, of course, the other reason why he'd probably want to bury his ancestors there is it lessens the possibility of somebody finding out that right. these are multiple people, not just one
0: guy. Right. It, it keeps the mystique, the mystery up of just being the one guy. Exactly. Now, another thing we left out and I, I don't remember when this came in, but it wasn't in the original run or in the original early story, but it did come on. He has a, is it a pet wolf? He has that also helps him out. I mean, He has yes. a lot of animals. He has a lot of animals because he lives in the jungle and the band are good with animals, but he has a wolf that often when he's on the Island helps him hunt and stalk.
1: That is devil, I believe.
0: I believe that's all that is. I think you're right. I think it is devil. And uh, I mean, he he's the Phantom is what you think of as a swashbuckler. He can ride horses. He can do acrobatics. He's great in a fist fight. Um, I mean, he's, as we always say, he's a white meat baby face, right? <laughs> right.
1: Now, the abilities of the Phantom, as we talked about before, no superpowers. Uh, we, we talked about the rings and we talked about the guns that he uses, which Double are- Double cold pair- 45s. Yep, uh, at the M1911 model, which dates back to uh, World War I, I think. Same thing, the Shadow, wheel, the double mm-hmm. 1911s. Yeah, but that is the origin of the Phantom, and the character is still published to this day in strips. So, kind of some fun facts to go over. When you factor that in, created in 1936 and published consistently every year in between... I think that might set the record for the longest running costume superhero because Sure. It has you know, to. Yeah, we we talked about how Superman started in thirty-eight, Batman started in thirty-nine. has got those characters beaten by a couple years. Because uh, regarding the costume, as we talked about before, he 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 drew the the character in tights, characters like the Shadow or Falk's own other creation, Mandrake the the Magician, uh Zorro Uh, King Arthur and such. Right. They have costumes, but they're like jackets or hats or something like that, kind of a signature wardrobe. Whereas, yeah, the Phantom wore tights, which kind of became the standard for Mm -hmm. decades to come and even in in superhero shows to this day. And the comic strip serials do get reprinted all the way back to the beginning in the 30s. They started publishing them in, uh, in the 30s as a collective volume. And that comic, I believe it's still published today because it's adapting all the comic strips. When Mm -hmm. you do the math and you look at the numbers, the total issue count for Phantom Comics is pretty staggering. I mean, 1,600 or 1,700 issues, so 1,700 issues of Mm -hmm. Phantom as an ongoing character have been published. And that also, I think, is a record because... You know, S- Superman, I mean, he, they, we just had Action 1000 last year sometime. So he's got 600 on top of that. <laughs> right, right.
0: And and it, and it blows away anything Marvel does, because Marvel didn't come around to the 60s.
1: Right. And, 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 I mean, Superman may have had more issues published because there have been different ongoing mm-hmm. Superman titles at the same time. This is just one guy, one continuity, the whole nine yards. Right. Well, and the other thing,
0: too, is... Phantom also isn't just the strip, though. I mean, he did like the shadow. He, he, he branched out into other things. There was a serial. Uh, uh, I don't know if there's a radio show, but I know that there was like a, a Saturday morning serial. They used to show, you know, it's Saturday morning at the movie theaters that had him. Uh, he became a part of what probably was the first superhero group in the Defenders of the Universe, which was him, Mandrake the Magician, and Flash Gordon, um, which was an animated show when we were kids in the 80s. Probably mm-hmm. the first time you ever heard of the Phantom. I know it was the first time I'd ever heard of him.
1: Yeah, I I believe so, uh, uh, because I had only heard of Flash Gordon at that point. That's
0: probably only because of the 1980s live-action movie with Queen doing the soundtrack. That's why you knew Flash Gordon. (laughs) 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 Uh, But, I mean, there was a a Phantom 2049. I don't know who published that, but but there have been multiple. Because he's a strip, they have licensed out his likeness and stories that are not considered canon, but have been done by both DC and Marvel, have had runs with the character uh, in the comic books as opposed
1: to the strip. And when you think about it, that puts Phantom in a pretty elite club where mm-hmm. these stories published by Marvel and DC, they weren't crossovers. You know, It wasn't you know Phantom Batman or something like that. These were Phantom stories. And that
0: continues to this day. I mean, if you remember, I mentioned earlier that Phantom was always kind of a passion for Lee Falk, even though he was a theater guy. He continued to write. Uh, up until he died in '99. And when he was on his deathbed hooked to a respirator, he told his wife at the time how he planned to conclude the stir- stories that were currently being published in 1999 so the continuity would continue. That's how dedicated he was to this character. And that is considered canon. And for whatever reason, as popular as The Phantom has been here in the United States, he's been even more so in Australia and the Nordic countries. And King's feature has, has, and I can't remember when this happened. It's been in the last 15, 20 years. They still own the rights, but they have basically subcontracted them out to a, a company called Egbert, who actually does the current strip. That is considered canon. That's following on the same continuity uh, of Kit Walker, the 21st Phantom to, you know, where we are. But I've mentioned earlier There are stories that are also considered canon that they've also written about the first 20 Phantoms that they've released in Australia and the Scandinavian countries. So those are also, But the the DC and Marvel stuff are not considered canon. But then again, like you just point out, Superman has stories that aren't considered canon within the DC proper universe. So that's not unusual. Um, I think if any of our listeners uh, know the Phantom, it's probably the most well-known would be the 1996 uh, live-action movie. Uh, yes. Starring Billy Zane and James Remar and Treat Williams and uh, who was the who was the the female lead Penelope Ann Miller I believe I, I believe remember. it was
1: Penelope Ann Miller. This would have been off her. I don't know if star making is the word, but she was in the movie Carlito's Way as the love interest, and right she got a lot of work after that, including this this uh, movie. Mm. And like we talked about with the shadow, I think it's pretty obvious that 1996 movie, which I did like by the way, uh, it, it was a mm. period piece. Uh, but I think they tried for that swashbuckling feel. And yeah, an
0: Indiana Jones kind of feel to it.
1: Yeah, and I think Phantom was also an attempt at making a franchise because of that star power. Sure.
0: Well, to go but, back to the, to, the, to the Shadow episode, I think we brought up then, and it, 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 it's pertinent with the Phantom as it was with the Shadow, and I think you could throw the Rocketeer in there as well, which was another good movie that came out around the same time. With Batman, the success of the 1989 Tim Burton, Michael Keaton, Batman, Studios were trying to make a comic book movies, and Marvel hadn't really – they were in a lot of financial problems, and things were crazy as far as their characters went. Um, I also don't know some of the special effects that caught up with the ability to do some of the the, the Marvel stories yet. DC was owned by Warner Brothers even back then, and they were real, real particular about what they were going to be let made into movies, pretty much only Superman and Batman. That was it. Um, And so you see a lot of movies coming up, two types that are comic book related at the time, either independent movies or movies that are based on independent comics, like Tank Girl was a good example around that same time. Yeah, Uh, you know, Men in Black, Men in Black. Exactly. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. These were independent comic books that were turned into movie live action. The other was to go back to the pulp and comic strip people like Phantom, like Rocketeer, like Shadow, you know. And I agree with you. I think, like the shadow, it was it was obvious this was meant to be a, a franchise. I don't know why it was. I really liked. I think in some ways it was kind of ahead of its time. You know. Yeah. Uh, for for me, I think Billy Zane is one of the best and most underrated actors out there at playing a bad guy. So it was fun to see him play a good guy, and he was very good at it. You know, uh, he is a guy who has always had the shaved head. I thought it was funny that he wore a wig, uh, you know, a hairpiece for the part because kit walker's supposed to have hair <laughs> and um it was easy for him because i think he just took the wig off when he when he pulled the hood up on the phantom outfit you know that probably made the, the hood fit a little bit better and he was wearing a real leotard in that movie he wasn't wearing like you know like molded stuff like the batman guys wore so billy zane got in shape for that role you know he, he there, was, there wasn't there was a whole lot of room for for uh you know uh suggestive uh, or uh you know imagination mm-hmm. with that costume he was wearing <laughs> in that movie and James Remar uh, is probably most well-known to current fans as uh, the father of Dexter on the old television show Dexter. Is a, I think, a great character actor, and he plays one of the bad guys. He's part of the Sang Brotherhood. Um, I thought it was a really good movie. And Treat Williams was so over-the-top as Drax, the main bad guy. You know, uh, And Treat's a guy I'd always seen as a good guy, and he got to play a bad guy in this. So that was fun, too. Um, you said you were working at the theater when this movie came out. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. So I did see it in the theaters. I can't remember the last time I've seen it afterwards, but I, I think it's due another viewing. And one other thing that you kind of notice with camera placement and kind of film, filming structure and such, going back to what you were talking about with Billy Zane always having the shaved head, whenever he, he removed the hood and the mask, he never does it entirely. You don't see the shot of him actually putting up, no. pulling back. You, mm. you would see him reach for it, and then you might get a reaction of somebody else. And then right. when it cuts back to Billy Zane, he's got the hairpiece on and the cowl mm-hmm. pulled back. Because you know, right, obviously, right. With, with that fake hair, if he tries to pull the cowl back, <laughs> he'd probably take his hair <laughs> yeah. with it. One other thing I wanted to add here we, uh, we were talking about a little bit before with the Marvel and the DC titles, that puts Phantom in a pretty elite club having titles published by both Marvel and DC. Because it's it was essentially folks' intellectual property, like you said, they would have to get permission or license to to publish those. And Trump when King. you factor that yeah. in, when you factor that in to the number of characters that have independently been written by both Marvel and DC, that wasn't a crossover, as I said before. There's actually not many of those characters.
0: Nope, there's not. There's really not. I mean, what are some other examples you can think of? The Shadows had runs them both, I think. Um, yes. Uh, I want to say, no,
1: Conan was always Marvel, right? I think that might have been an intellectual property that Marvel started publishing. And now that I think uh, about okay. it, I'm not sure Marvel ever did a shadow story. I know they had Batman crossovers and there was a standalone shadow series in the mm-hmm. 80s, like we talked about in our shadow episode.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that is interesting. Now that I think about it, I, I hadn't stopped to think about that. It does put him in a very elite class. I was going to mention completely off topic because we were talking about the movie. This was made in ninety. This released in ninety six. So it was made in ninety five, ninety six. Lee Falk was still alive when they made the movie, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's great like pictures from the set of him on the set. This very spry, you know, man in his eighties. And Billy Zane had talked in an interview about how talking to Lee Falk helped him understand who the Phantom was. You know, I can't think of any other. I mean. Yeah, you can throw out people like Kirby and Stan Lee and people like that. I can't think of any other comic book or comic strip creator who so was so inextricably linked to his creation, and you know just followed it all the way through. That's just amazing to me. You know, um, it, it's and you've got to think here's a guy who created this in the '30s and has seen all the. By the time we're in the '90s, we're in the very burgeoning days of the internet. Lot, this, this man has seen a lot of things change I, I, You know he had to be amazed To see that movie come to fruition You know To see his little idea he had To just make some money while he was Wanting to get back into theater Become a big major Hollywood studio production I mean that's amazing to me I don't know mm-hmm. if, it, if it, it Amazes you or not But for me it does
1: Yeah yeah agreed I mean wouldn't you want to be
0: If you were Michael Keaton or you were Christian Bale wouldn't you love to be able to like sit on set and pick the brain of Bill King, Bill Finger, and Bob Kane?
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: Yeah, you know, or if you're you're Christopher Reeve, wouldn't you love to pick the brain of of, of uh, Schuster and uh, what's his name? What was the Se- other guy Siegel that, uh, Siegel and Schuster? Yeah, I mean, um, I know Linda Carter did a lot of research into Moulton when she when she was cast to play Wonder Woman, but I don't think she spoke to the man. I think he was dead by the, that point, you know. Uh, so you know, that's that's just that's just
1: that's just really cool to me. I, yeah. I just think that's neat. <laughs> yeah, and Billy Zane got the role because he had campaigned for it. Essentially, you know, he, mm-hmm. he went to the film company wanting to play the character because Billy Zane, in real life, is a big Phantom fan. I, I feel that the
0: Phantom. We would discuss this with Shadow as well, and the Alec Baldwin Shadow movie. I think both these movies are about due to maybe try to get made again with, a, I think, it would be a much more accepting audience with the, um, you know, with 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 the love of comic book stuff now and also special effects have kind of caught up, I think. Though there wasn't a lot of special effects in The Phantom. It was more, um, it was just your good old-fashioned. And I think, I think that, the, I can't remember who the director is, I'm going, going blank. I think he was a lot like, Spielberg and Lucas when they did the Indiana Jones movies they tried To give it the feel and look of those old 30s And 40s adventure serials You know the the fight scenes and stuff Because it it, it fit because it was Like I said it was a period piece but I think I think we uh, I think that Now might be a time I think you know It's been over 20 years lord knows They've they've rebooted and remade Everything else right (laughs) maybe Even Mm -hmm. a new script Uh, you know Obviously I think Billy Zane's too old to do It now But I wouldn't mind seeing him as maybe the 20th Phantom as the father. That would be kind of cool.
1: Yeah. And if you wanted to make a show or a serial or Netflix or whatever, one of the Mm -hmm. things you could conceivably do, it might be hard for some fans to get around it, but you could do a series for the Phantom that would just take place in different times. You just have the same actor who's playing the 21st Phantom also playing, you know, the 11th Mm -hmm. Phantom.
0: Exactly. Because there was a part in the movie Oh, and I'm I'm drawing a blank. What is that? He's a famous British actor. He played. Oh, he was a braveheart. He played. He played. He played Edward Longshanks. Oh, oh, shoot! What is that? But he plays the twentieth Phantom, and you realize at the end of the movie that it's it's Kit's been talking to his, the ghost of his father, you know, to avenge his death because the James Remar character is the character in, in that movie that kills him. So uh, you know, to carry on that whole thing, you say that you, that's that's part of being the phantom is you bury the bones of your of your father in the cave and then take up the mantle. And um, uh, I, I could see Billy Zane in a role like that. You follow what I'm saying? If they were to do a, a one today, mm-hmm. maybe a flashback, or, or, or you could even do a flashback. You could even do a flashback to where he dies and the current phantom buries him in the cave, you know, and then takes up the mantle. I just think, man, the right there's enough directors. In Hollywood now, and screenplay writers that understand what people want to see in comic book movies, and you've got the willingness of studios to put money behind them—it's—it's it, it's right. I would like to see another Phantom. What, what say ye?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Any—I mean, the Phantom strikes me as though, for like, when we brought the Shadow, I have listened to a lot of the old Shadow radio shows. I've only read a few of the Phantom strips, so I don't really have a lot of fond memories beyond. I liked the movie, and I liked doing research to find out about it. And I finally – I've always thought even – I knew who Lee Falk was even before I got into doing research and even before that movie came out. I just like history, so I appreciate who he was. Do you have any fond
1: memories? Did you read the the any Phantom strips or the collections when you were younger? I'd seen some of them, but I didn't collect them or, or read them for any long period of time. At that point in my life, I was more interested in the funny comic strips.
0: Yeah, Beetle Bailey, Hagger the Horrible, Garfield, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Family Circus was big It was big in, our, in my house. We were we, we related to that.
1: <laughs> but anyway. One of the lesser-known things, you were talking before about how Phantom is really big in a lot of other countries, including Australia. Paul Hogan, yes, that Paul Hogan, Crocodile Dundee, he That's had... That's not a
0: knife? That This is a knife, Paul Hogan? <laughs> right, right. Okay. He,
1: he had a sketch comedy TV show, maybe in the 70s or the 80s or something like that, and there was an episode that depicted him as the phantom and i certainly hadn't heard of that i'd only known paul hogan from crocodile dundee i didn't know that he was a comedic actor before that he was he's pretty big in
0: in in hollywood i mean sorry in in australia from my understanding uh my um i've discussed before not getting too personal that i served a mission for my church well there's another guy from my congregation about a year younger than me he served his mission in australia and he, he 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 Commented because this was right after the you know the Crocodile D was such a big hit here. How big a star Paul Hogan was in Australia. He's like an a big time a lister down there, not just known for Crocodile D. He also pointed out that the Phantom down there in Australia is you know on par here in America with characters like Batman and Superman. It's just that well known in the if, if, if Batman and Superman, Spider Man are like American pop culture icons, the Phantom is that in Australia. That's how popular he is down there. That's why those. Those, those, those stories I was talking that are considered canon that are about the, the, the first 20 Phantoms, they're published only there and in, in Scandinavia because American fans don't care, but they, they gobble them up down there. So
1: One other thing I wanted to add, because we're going to wrap things up here shortly, a website that really helped me out in research, and I'm, I'm going to link it in the show notes at geekvilleradio.com. And that site is phantomwiki.org. It's a, a Wikipedia-like page uh, devoted to all things Phantom, so you can look up specific stories and such.
0: Well, that that sounds like it, it, that's, that's a good uh, place to start for people that will want to look more mm-hmm. into the Phantom.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. And I did touch base with uh, some of the people that uh, work on that site, and um, they seem like really gung-ho fans. And so I just wanted to kind of give them a shout-out. So if you want to know more about the Phantom that we didn't cover here, I would suggest going to phantomwiki.org. Well, I've really
0: enjoyed uh, doing this episode. I, I, one of the things I looked forward to uh, when, when we discussed doing this format was there were characters I knew a little about I would like to deep, dive deeper into. I got to with the Phantom. I got to go back and rewatch the Billy Zane movie. Um, I enjoyed that. I've definitely now I, I think I'm going to have to go online or go to my public library and see if I can find some of these Phantom strips and, uh, and, and look a little bit deeper into them. I hope maybe we encourage you all to do the same.
1: I agree. I, I will probably look into back issues and such and maybe even watch that 1943 serial, to be honest with you. so <laughs> Black and white, you're really living dangerously, aren't you? <laughs> but yeah, that will wrap up this edition of the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame as we induct the Phantom as our second inductee. Just a reminder that our website is com. We do have a Facebook and a Twitter, at Geekville Radio. And you can search for us on iTunes or the podcast device if you're choosing. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. You'll find all of our other shows, the Geekville Radio proper, the Examining the Dead, the Ex- Examining the Doctor, our Doctor Who-themed podcast. And give us a like. Like I said, uh, follow us on, on iTunes. Give us a review, because I always want to know how I can make the show better or if there's something we're doing well. I encourage you to let us know what we're doing well. My email is seth at a1-wrestling.com. We do have a comment section on the com website. And, of course, social media, if you hit, hit me up on social media, either of those Twitter or Facebook handles, I will answer any question you want. Uh, if I don't know it, I'll point you in the direction of people who would, say the the good folks at the PhantomWiki.org. And, train. if people want to talk to you about the phantom or your days of wrestling or any other superhero or sci-fi, where can people get a hold of you? I'm always
0: available on Twitter at crazy train underscore JB. Love to hear some suggestions for people you think are worthy inductees into the lesser known geek hall of fame. Uh, love to talk anything current or past pro wrestling prefer past, but I'll, I'll speak current. Uh, it is the middle of football season. I am a football fanatic. Uh, so anything, especially about the Broncos, the Panthers or the university of Georgia, um, Anything like that, and if if you just want to shoot the breeze, that's fine, too. You know, I love, you. you listened to our shows, you know I love heavy metal. I love Southern Rock. I love Outlaw Country. I'm willing to talk about any of that stuff.
1: I'm a, you know, it's always nice to talk to the people that listen. All right, we're going to shut down the lights here in the Geekville Radio Studio. Thanks again for you folks listening. We're going to be back next time with another edition into the lesser known Geek Hall of Fame. Not sure who it's going to be yet, but pretty safe bet. That since next month is October, as of this recording, maybe do some do somebody that might fit with the Halloween vibe that we get at the end of October. So once again, folks, give us a, su- a suggestion if you want. If there's somebody you want us to talk about. So for Crazy Train, Jonathan Bullock. This is Seth signing off, and we will talk to you folks next time on the Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any products or services unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests do not reflect the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, the Wrestling Brethren podcast, family, or any of their affiliate. Some media used in Geekville Radio is the product of their respective copyright holders, all rights reserved.
0: Hi, up. Or don't.
1: It's personal.